0: You have a responsibility to missions, and we want you to be asking God, you know, what is my responsibility in in missions? Lord, you know, what would you have me to give to missions? And so you pray, and you ask God, whatever that is, and, and you pray about it, and then what you do is, by faith, you trust God to supply whatever monetary value that is, and each week or each month,
1: you give that, and lead us off, okay? Well, it's great to be with you. We are Missionaries to Nicaragua. I'm going to read you something very personal to me, um, something that transpired this week. And then uh, we're going to show our video. I'll pray, we'll show our video, and then I'll summarize our video for you. Please listen to this if you would. It's uh, about a kid named Luis Aburto. And uh, in June of 2013, we held our first citywide evangelistic outreach in Tijuana, Nicaragua. It seemed that nothing went right leading up to this event. At 5.30 when the event was scheduled to begin, uh, only 20 to 30 people were there. Uh, Nikki began to sing and after she was done singing, I think uh, people started coming out of their houses. I think we probably had 150 to 170 people there. And uh, at the end of the gospel DVD, we invited people to to come and to allow us to come into their homes and do home Bible studies. We had maybe 30 or 40 people approach us. One of those that just happened to be there that day was the guard for the park. He, He was the caretaker at the park. And uh, he came up and said he had been waiting for somebody, he had been looking for a church, they were already saved, so we began to go out there and, uh, and do a discipleship study with him. We would drive 15 minutes outside of Tequantepe, not something I really wanted to do, I wanted to start in Tequantepe and then branch out into the rural areas. But When there's a gospel opportunity, I'm not going to turn that down. So we began to go out there, we'd drive about 15 minutes, we'd park at a fruit stand, and then we'd have to hike about 25 minutes back out into the coffee fields, into the pineapple fields, and... And we did this every Sunday for uh, every other week for a year to to a year and a half. And uh, then when we began to meet in a a building, we invited the family to to, to come down. And and there were times when we did this that we often questioned uh, myself and Nikki and Alex and Marjorie, the Nicaraguan couple that worked with us. We began to question if it's something that we should continue to do. Um, We thought, you know, the family's not really paying attention. I think they're interested in going to another church now. Is this really worth our time? But something in me... Uh, told us that we must keep going. And uh, in January of 2014, their son, Luis, got saved. He was 14 years old, got baptized, completed our 16-week discipleship program. He became our most faithful member, Luis. And uh, he, uh, he would hike out to the road, um, and he would get a bus, and he would come down by himself to go to church. And I got a call this week from Alex that Luis passed away on Tuesday at 17 years old. Unknown illness, passed away unexpectedly. And this is the point of what I'm telling you, is that God uses broken people to share the gospel with others. If we had had our way, we probably would have stopped going. Churches had not supported us, we wouldn't have gone. And I'm here to tell you this, that we serve a sovereign and wonderful Creator. And he cared so much about Luis that he sent our family to reach him. And you know what? This is not a pat on the back for me, because I'm telling you this, if I hadn't gone, God cared enough about Luis to send somebody else. So when we talk about your call to missions, let me just preface it with this. If you don't do it, God will use somebody else. But the opportunity that you have to serve the sovereign creator of the universe, to serve Jesus Christ, share the gospel, to be his ambassador to those around you, to support missions, is not something that you deserve, but it's a grace that he allows us to be a part of this. So as you watch our video, uh, please keep that in mind. I want to pray for us. God, thank you so much for your grace and mercy. God, may our hearts understand and, and may our minds be sealed that, that you want, you demand for us to share the gospel with those around us and to have a global vision and share those with the gospel with those around the world. God, we are partners in this. And may we grow in partnership. May we love one another. May we get to know one another more. But God, may we be dedicated to your work above all else. In your name we pray, amen. We are dedicated to building faithful and fruitful churches. Uh, one thing that you can begin to pray with us about, and one thing I want to communicate to you, is that when you give to missions, we often have too small a view of what that looks like. We look at missions a lot of times as an expenditure. But the language that we always use when we talk about giving to missions is that an investment. Why? Because an expenditure is, as I told the youth today, when you go and buy a Mountain Dew, you drink the Mountain Dew, and the effects wear off, you spent your money, it's gone. But an investment is not that way. It's the complete opposite. You invest your money, and what do you expect? A return. We say when you give the missions, let's say you give a dollar to missions, and then it goes to some missionary on a foreign field. That person shares the gospel. Somebody is saved. And we say that's what our money was spent on. But that's not the way it works. You see, when you give to missions and a missionary goes and establishes a church or, or they begin to preach the gospel and one person is saved, that person begins to reach those around them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. A church is started. That church then gets a vision to reach their community with the gospel as they should. They begin to reach their country with the gospel. And then they begin sending missionaries to places that I could never go and minister effectively. Why? Because somebody supported missions, and God took that, that obedience and that faith, and he did great things with it. So that investment, when you invest in missions, it literally never stops growing. It's called compounding interest. Why? Because interest that builds upon interest that builds upon interest. So one person is saved and taught to be a disciple of Christ, and from there, the gospel spreads throughout the world. That's what happened with you. You are not... Uh, uh, the start of the Great Commission. You're the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Missionaries came here, and you know Jesus. But the Great Commission starts all over again, and that's what it's all about: is reaching those around us, reaching those near us, and reaching those across the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I hope today, if there's one thing that we don't have too small a view of missions, because God is so much bigger than anything we could see, and missions are grander than. So what a wonderful thing to be a part of. Thank you so much for allowing us the time to come and share with
0: you. Uh, Sean Sullivan in Eastern Europe with Manor Worldwide, and uh, we've been doing this uh, for a very, very long time. I feel like the old guy in the group, but I've got a fire uh, burning inside that uh, just can't be put out. God's uh, called me and my family to reach those who speak Russian and speak Ukrainian, and uh, members of the former Soviet Union uh, to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ to plant churches and see their lives change for eternity. So that's what I'm doing. And um, I, I know that uh, missions emphasis and missions conferences uh, sometimes we hear a lot of uh, we hear a lot of uh, cliche type of phrases. And um, I've, I've been involved in ministry for for over 20 years, vocational ministry. But I want you to understand something this morning. There's a big difference between your vocation and your purpose. Your pastor is a vocational minister. I am a vocational minister. That's what I do for a living. You might be a lawyer or a doctor or a plumber or a carpenter or whatever it is that you do to earn bread for your family. That's your vocation. That is not your purpose for drawing breath right now the reason why you're sitting here right now drawing breath, the reason why your heart is beating in your chest, take your fingers like this, work with me. Put them right here. If you don't feel anything, call 911. If you have a pulse, the reason why you're here is not so that you can prepare your investments for the future financially, but so that you can honor and glorify God. That is our purpose for existence. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11 says that we are and were created for the pleasure of God. The reason why you're here on this earth, the reason why you're sitting in these pews, the reason why this church and you as an individual Christ follower, the reason why you get up in the morning and do anything at all ever is to honor the name of God so that we can achieve the investment results that this young man's talking about, logarithmic multiplication. Missions is not about adding one more soul, although we would rejoice over every single one, and heaven does. But that's not the design of God. That's not the design of the church. That's not the design for your life so that you can honor God in the greatest way. The design for our lives is unimaginable multiplication through the church of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God for eternal results. That's what we're here for. That's our purpose. So when you're talking about missions, don't get confused about the guys that are doing missions and then the guys that are not. We're all doing missions. we're, We're confused sometimes as individuals and as a church about the definition of missions. Many times, I've been doing this a long time, and I'm in different churches all over the world, and I see this, and we need to refocus our energies on a biblical definition of who I am, why I'm here, and what I'm supposed to be doing. And missions is not these guys doing something over there and we're writing checks to help them. Missions is not check-writing ministry. Missions is introducing people to the love and the grace of God wherever you are. Missions is not and outreach of the church. Missions is not a program of the church. Missions is the DNA of the church. Missions is why we do everything that we do. But missions is not the end. Missions is not the goal. The glory of God is the goal. The reason why we exist and do everything that we do is because we've been created by God to honor His name. The best way I know how to do that is to introduce somebody to the grace and love of Jesus Christ that he showed to us personally. That's why we're here. So I told the Bible study class this morning, the Sunday school class, that we would look at a couple of things. I've got just a few minutes, and so I'm going to whiz through this, but I want you to understand my heart. I told them I'd tell them who we are, what we do, how we do it, and then why. So we're going to talk in the Scriptures. If you'll get your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 9, we'll look at that in just a minute. But Manna Worldwide is a team of missionaries that works together to do a couple of things. First of all, we're here to honor God by planting and growing local churches all over the world. Uh, 17 years ago, we started feeding 10 children in Manila, in the Philippines. Today, we'll feed 14,000 children in 42 countries around the world. That's only by the grace of God. And the reason why we do that, and we'll talk about the biblical reason why we do that, but the reason why we do that is to build Relational bridges into people's lives and into communities that are suffering from the greatest degree of poverty uh, all over the world. We do that so that we can build those relationships so that people will ask us, Why are you doing what you're doing? And that same principle is a human principle. It's not a Soviet principle, it's not an Asian principle, it's not a Central American principle, it's a human principle. And here's the principle that God wants us to understand. When you walk across the street and you do something for somebody who has a need that they cannot meet for themselves and you don't ask for anything in return. You do it with complete abandon and with complete unconditional love, and then you continue to love them and show compassion towards that need, that personal need, in perfect sincerity, in complete genuineness, with a pure love for them and for God, and you don't quit regardless of how they respond to you, then you're beginning to understand what Jesus did. This isn't rocket science. It's not a new program that Man of Worldwide invented. Now we're the new mission thing. This is Jesus' works since the first day that he came to planet Earth, and that's, that's what we do, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But this human principle applies everywhere around the world. When you go across the street and you meet a need that somebody has that they cannot meet for themselves in the name and the spirit of God for the purpose of loving someone, because one day somebody loved you when we were... When we were cast out and when we were rejected and when we were hopeless and when we had no hope whatsoever, somebody came across the street and loved us. You probably know their name, the name of the person that loved you to the point where you said, what's wrong with you? Why are you hanging around trying to help me out when I've done nothing for you and I, quite frankly, sometimes get antagonistic and try to throw you off? Why do you keep loving me? And they had the opportunity, just like we have today, to say, I love you because one day I was in the pit and God picked me up and he loved me through some other person who carried the name of Christ. And I'm loving you because I owe a great debt that I can never repay, but I'm going to die trying. I owe a debt to God of gratitude for the grace that he's shown in my life and so I'm going to live my life giving back to him. I'm going to show you what this looks like in Eastern Europe. We work all over the world and the programs look a little bit different to reach into communities in Eastern Europe. And in Eurasia, and especially in Southeast Asia, uh, human trafficking, modern-day slavery is an issue that absolutely assaults the lives of children and and places us in in crisis mode all over the entire region trying to save the lives of millions of children who are being abused and and tormented and are suffering in modern-day slavery called human trafficking. And so our Bridge to Life Homes program through the local churches all over the region work to prevent that from ever happening in the lives of young people um, all over Ukraine and Russia and Belarus and Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan and all the places where we're reaching into. So let's watch this. This is Bridge to Life Homes. And get your Bibles. We'll come back and talk about Matthew chapter 9. Well, what does the Great Commission say? Crickets. Woo That's tough on Missions Emphasis Day. I'm not trying to shame you. What does the Great Commission say? Go ye therefore. You know what that says? It says to me, as you are going, there's a personal pronoun there. I learned about. I learned a lot about grammar when, I've, when I failed um, fourth grade uh, because of English. I learned more about uh, English from Spanish, from French, from Russian, from Greek, and all the other Japanese and every, all the other languages I've been exposed to than I ever did in English class. But I know this, personal pronouns are important. You is one of them. You, you and me, as you are going, make disciples. As you are going, make disciples. You're getting up in the morning or you're going. You're going to work, you're going to school, you're going wherever you're going. You know, that's not his job. He's the coach. You're the team. If the team's not on the field and we're all on the sidelines trying to get the coach to go on the field, there's something wrong. We're doing it backwards. God has called this man to coach you. That's the purpose of the church is to enable and to equip you, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And you might say, well, I don't have a ministry. I'm a plumber. I don't have a ministry. I'm an electrician. No, the Bible also says God has given to us the ministry of, of reconciliation. Every single one of us has a ministry, and that ministry is reconciliation. It is bringing men and women and boys and girls back into a restored relationship with God through Jesus Christ by telling them and showing them and demonstrating to them in sincerity what God has done in our lives. And we didn't just make this stuff up. This is old. This is ancient, ancient mission philosophy. This didn't come from BBFI. This didn't come from the World Baptist Fellowship. This didn't come from the International Mission Board. This came from the life and the work of Jesus Christ. This came from the life and work of Jesus Christ while he walked on planet Earth. And so that's the model that we follow as an organization and as individuals. Take your Bibles, if you would. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse number 35. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues. Remember that grammar? That grammar thing I talked about? Parts of speech. You guys remember watching um, public broadcasting and schoolhouse rock? Remember seeing a show show called Schoolhouse Rock? You remember the little thing, conjunction, junction? There, they're singing it. That's it. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Conjunctions are parts of speech that mean things. And I've heard people say in missions conferences, pray, give, or go like it's a choice. You don't get to choose. All three are biblical mandates. We're supposed to pray, we're supposed to give, and is a conjunction that draws two ideas together that are similar and are parallel and are unified Pray, give, and go is the biblical mandate for every Christ follower. Every single one of us. Not just him, not just these guys. Every single one of us, as individual Christ followers, have been given the mandate to pray for the equipping of the Holy Spirit to give everything that we have and everything that we are and go until God tells us to stay. Somebody told me once, I'm staying right here until God tells me to go. Well, God already told you to go. Keep going until he tells you to stay. You'll find it wherever that is. You can't mess it up. How are you gonna mess it up? Helping people and loving people and sharing the gospel with them. So what if you're in the wrong country? (laughs) You'll figure it out. Go. Love people and honor God. It's that simple. Look, Jesus is teaching he went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And this is God. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. The creator of the universe came down to us. He looked us in the eyeballs, He touched us with His own hands, and He said, I love you so much that I'm going to take my crown and my robe and lay it on the side. And I'm going to come down here and become what Isaiah said wasn't even a very good looking guy. And I'm going to love you and I'm going to serve you. And it's going to kill me. And I'm going to give it all anyway because you're worth it. It's that simple. You need to teach people, you need to preach the gospel of the kingdom and you need to walk across the street and touch somebody's life that's in need, that has a need that they can't meet for themselves. Get your eyes up and look around and see what God's doing in the lives of people who are broken and hurting and suffering and understand the heart of the Father and the spirit of adoption that every single one of us has experienced and know that people who are suffering around us have that same need to have a Father that will love them unconditionally and give them eternal life. So pray, so give, and go, and do what Jesus did every single day. Even if you never make it to Nicaragua or London or Eastern Europe, you never speak another language besides the one that you grew up with, it doesn't matter. Give your lives to God and spend your lives loving people so that they'll understand. They'll live your life in such a way that people will see your light and give glory to God our Father. That's what missions is all about. It's about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you are. I'd love it to death if you guys would come to Ukraine one day. If you never get called to go, that part, to go to that part of the world, that won't bother me at all. But get up every single day and honor God and love people wherever you are. That's missions. Introduce people to the grace and love of Jesus Christ and touch them in a way that that is genuine and pure and sincere and compassionate, and you will get the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
2: I love being a part of a church that really gets it, and I'm just so thankful for their sacrifice. What a wonderful testimony, and really to give God the glory for that. I'm so thankful to be here. My name is Tarl Reeves. It's kind of like Carl, uh, but with a T, it's Tarl. Uh, we are missionaries to London, England. If uh, oh, there's our there's our family. Yeah, my wife and kids they're back in Atlanta right now uh, with my in-laws. Uh, we're getting ready to head back uh, to London at the end of this year. And I'm so thankful to be back in Texas. Uh, I love Texas. My parents are here. They're from Austin, and uh, it's always great to be back in Texas because it's the only state that is gutsy enough to have its own toast. And so uh, I love just coming back to Texas. Uh, everything's bigger, so uh, it's, it's just wonderful, and uh, we've been missionaries to London now for four years. I love it there, uh, and uh, I, I really need to explain why we're missionaries to London, why it's so important for us to be sending missionaries to London, England. Who's ever been to London before? Raise your hand. Nice and proud. All right, just one person. Okay? Well, he doesn't count. He's a missionary, so it doesn't count if you're a missionary. Uh, John's actually the reason why I'm here, because uh, John went on our very first missions trip that my wife and I led to London, and he had he's lived to tell the tale. And uh, you like his worship and his music and everything. I taught him everything he knows. So really, thank me about it. Um I was a lot like you before 2002. Before 2002, I'd never been to London before. I didn't know much about London other than what I read in books and seen on TV. Uh, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this now, uh, but I feel like this is a safe place. Um, I grew up watching a lot of Mary Poppins I don't know if anyone's ever done that before, so I had a lot of warped views about what I thought London was going to be like before we went over there. I thought we were going to get over there and people were going to be dancing on rooftops and having tea parties on the ceiling, and uh, I remember we just landed in London. We haven't even been in London uh, two hours yet, and we're uh, driving through the city on a bus to go to the church where we were going to be ministering at, and I remember we're just really excited because we're in London. You know, this is incredible. We're taking pictures of everything, and, uh, you know, I'm taking pictures of the sidewalk, and it's just, like, incredible. And I remember the thing that struck me the most was we stopped at a stoplight and right across the street from where we were at on the sidewalk in the middle of the day, in the middle of the afternoon, was a Muslim man who proceeded to get out his prayer rug. And then he got on his hands and knees and started bowing down towards Mecca because it was his call to prayer. And I just remember seeing all the people having to walk around him uh, to avoid stepping on him. And I just remember being shocked by this because uh, here we are in London. Isn't this the place of Spurgeon? Isn't this the place of great revivals? Isn't this the place where uh, the English Bible came from and all sorts of different things? And here I am, uh, uh, all of these preconceived ideas I had in my mind were completely shattered uh, because of seeing this Muslim man on the sidewalk. And when I tell people we're missionaries in London, a lot of times they give me a quizzical look on their face like, why London? You know, wouldn't you want to go to some developing country or nation? Why should we be sending missionaries to London? And really there's a few reasons why it's so important for us to be sending missionaries to London, England. And the first reason really has to do with the fact that the whole world lives in London. It's a city of over 9 million people people. Now, let me put that in perspective for you, okay? Uh, It's a city of 9 million people, and I believe the DFW Metroplex is about over 7 million people, spread over an area of 9,000 square miles. Well, there's over 9 million people that live in London, and it's in an area of 600 square miles. Think about that for a second. We are living on top of each other. It is crazy. But the thing that shocks me the most about this is that almost half the people that live in London are born from another country. Think about that for a second. Almost half the people that currently live in London are born in another country. So that means that we have an opportunity to reach out to people from all over the world. I never thought in my wildest dreams I'd be leading people to the Lord from all sorts of different countries. People uh, like from Jamaica or uh, Albania or from uh, Ghana or Liberia or Kenya or Ethiopia or uh, Moldova. All sorts of places. I never thought in my wildest dreams I'd be telling people about Jesus leading them to the Lord. But we have that. That opportunity, because the whole world has moved to London, and that's another. uh, That's a reason why it's so important for us to be sending missionaries to England. Another reason why it's so important for us to be sending missionaries to London really has to do with its influence. You know, when you think of influential cities around the world, you know, right behind Decatur has to be London, right? I mean, they influence the world in politics and in culture and in economics, and they really kind of set the direction the way that the world goes. And here's my question for you sitting here today. What do we want as Christians influencing one of the most influential cities around the world? Do we want the fastest growing religion in the UK? What do you think that is? What do you think the fastest growing religion in England is? Islam, absolutely, Islam. You know, right now in London, just in London, there's over a million Muslims that live there. So that means when you come to visit us on a mission trip, one in nine people that you will come across will be a Muslim. Or do we want Hinduism? You know, the largest Hindu temple outside of India is in London. One in ten people that live in London right now are either from India or from Pakistan. Or do we want agnosticism or atheism? Most people are brought up to believe that God is a myth, God is a lie, and has no relevance or bearing on our life. And so with all these influences, as Christians what do we want influencing one of the most influential cities in all the world? Do we want Islam or Hinduism or agnosticism or atheism? Or do we as Christians want Christ influencing London? And that's another reason why it's so important for us to be sending people over there. And a final reason really has to do with us sitting here today. You know, when I think of great influential thinkers... And great influential writers and pastors and preachers and books and songs and churches and uh, missionaries of the past, a lot of that originated from England. You know, many of us would not be sitting here today if it wasn't for their impact upon this country. And at one point in time, they sent out more missionaries around the world than any other country. And you know what's sad? Sad. We have to send missionaries back to England because they've turned themselves so far away from God. And my wife and I, we kind of see ourselves kind of like Nehemiah going back to Jerusalem and rebuilding the city walls. What we want to do is we want to go back to London and rebuild that gospel witness because God has not turned his back on London and neither should we. And so what I'd like all of you to do today is I'd like you to remember to grab one of our prayer cards. Let's see if I can get one out. Grab all the missionaries' prayer cards. Remember to pray for our families. We could not be doing what we're doing in our respective fields without your prayers and support. But then also, we have uh, on the back table... A little keychain and a little tin, and here's what I'm asking for all of you to do, okay? Especially during this time, because this is one of the most important times for our visas. Uh, we have these little keychains, uh, and all I'm asking is for 30 days, remember to pray for our family. So this isn't a lifetime commitment or anything like that. I'm just asking for 30 days, remember to pray for our family Uh, because we're applying for our visas. We're going through all that process. We're going back at the end of the year. This is a very critical time that we covet your prayers. And what's really exciting is if you shop at Walmart or Target or any places like that and you swipe it at the little machine, you get 30% off all your purchases. So it's kind of a win-win situation. That was a joke. Uh, You guys, I was just seeing if you guys were paying attention and obviously you guys aren't. So I'm glad I'm just talking to you guys and no one's listening to me. And then finally, we have a little jar back there. It says moving fund. Whatever you put in there, 100% of that goes towards all of our moving costs. We have to raise over $10,000 just for our U.K. visas just to be able to go back to London. So whatever you put in there, all of it will go to our moving expenses, including our visas and our plane tickets. So if you could turn to your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, I promise I will be brief unless Pastor wants me to get done right now but let's keep this missions party going. I'm really excited to be here. I'm so thankful uh, to be a part of your church and your missions emphasis time. Once again, we can't be doing what we're doing without your prayers, your support, and your help. But what I'd like to touch on right now in Acts chapter 9 is just what is our call to missions? What is our call? What is God, what is Jesus Christ asking you to do this morning? What is God asking you to do this morning? And what we see in Acts chapter 9 In verse 10, it says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire of the house of Judas, for one called Saul, which we all know is going to be Paul, Of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. Now, I don't have time right now to unpack all of this incredible goodness. I love the book of Acts, especially being a missionary. I'm all about the book of Acts. And one of the things that we see time and time again is that the reason why the church in Acts was so effective. If you don't believe me, even if you turn to Acts chapter 17, verse 6, the testimony for Christians at that time from unbelievers is these are those people that are turning the world. Upside down. That was the testimony from unbelievers of Christians. These are those people that are turning the world upside down. The world will never be the same because of these Christians. So what is happening from the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, now we get to Acts chapter 17. What is going on to making such a huge impact on the world that the world will never be the same? And what we see clearly throughout each chapter is that we see that Christians rose up and they answered the call to what God God would have them to do. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what does Jesus say? He says, I want you to be witnesses, not just here in Jerusalem, but where? Onto the uttermost parts of the earth. I want you to go everywhere proclaiming the Word of God. And then we have Acts chapter 3, where the Christians were known boldly to go boldly to share the gospel. And then Acts chapter 8, what do we have? We have Philip, who is a disciple, uh, an apostle. And the angel of the Lord goes up to him and says, I want you to rise up and I go to the desert place. And that's where he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. And you say, Philip, what's going on? Why is Jesus saying, get up and go to a desert place? Who's going to be there? And that's when he uh, witnesses to that Ethiopian eunuch. And then we have Acts chapter 9, where now we have Ananias, not, not the Ananias and Sapphira variety earlier, but we have Ananias. He's just a regular guy. He's not an apostle. He's just a regular disciple. He's just hanging out, praying. And God says, I want you to get up and I want you to go to Saul and talk to him. And then we see further in Acts chapter 13, I want the church is praying, and he says, I want you to set apart for me Paul and Barnabas so they can go out and proclaim the gospel. So what do we see throughout the whole book of Acts? That people are getting up and going and proclaiming the word of God. And it's because of that, now we get Acts chapter 17, verse 6, that the world is turned upside down because of everything that is going on uh, throughout the entire book of Acts. Now, here's why I share all of that to you. It's just like, as the missionary Sean said earlier, you know, growing up, I was told, uh, man, if you can't go, then you need to give. And if you can't give, then you need to pray. But that's not what we see throughout the book of Acts at all. What is every Christian, man, woman, and child doing? They're doing all of those things. They're praying. They're giving. They're going. The whole church wasn't on the sidelines, but they were in the battle. I remember the same sort of thing had to happen in my life. I got saved when I was nine years old. I was a bus kid. How many of you guys know what a bus kid is? Okay, fewer and far between. Not a bus boy, but a bus kid, okay? Well, for those of you that don't know what a bus kid is, um, back in the olden days, way, way long time ago, okay? We called those days the 80s, all right? Um, Churches would have what they call a bus ministry to where they would go out into communities where parents wouldn't go to church, but they would pick up the children and they'd take them to Sunday school. And I remember I was about nine years old, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm playing Legos uh, in, in the living room. And I remember a 19-year-old kid uh, was knocking on doors and inviting kids to come to church. And I remember he knocked on our door and he said, hey, Taro, would you like to ride the bus to Sunday school? And I said, Sunday school, what is that? You know, what are you talking about? That seems bizarre. Uh, You know, I don't want to have any part of that. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Here's what we do. We play games. We have fun. We eat lots of candy. uh, And we also learn about Jesus. And I don't know if any of you guys remember being nine, but when you're talking about games, fun, and candy, it's like, sign me up. You know, how's this work out? Do I pay you for this transaction? Or how do we get this thing going? And he's like, hold up. It's cool. Just show up for Sunday. Uh, Just be ready the next day. So I said, great. So the very next Sunday, I got my clip-on tie. I was ready to go. And sure enough, we rode the bus to Sunday school. We played games. We had fun. We ate tons and tons of candy. But that was the first time in my life that anyone had ever told me about Jesus Christ. And my need for him and the fact that because of my sin, uh, I I was destined uh, to go to hell. But if I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ uh, and repented of my sins and and looked to Christ to save me from those sins, he would save me and, and take me to heaven when I die. Never heard that stuff before. And uh, after a couple months of riding the bus, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And it was incredible. And it was like a hallelujah moment. And what's great about that is not only did I get saved, but my mom got saved and my sister got saved. And my dad started coming back to church. And our whole family was affected for eternity. Why? Because one person invited a nine-year-old to church. And it's changed our family's life forever. Could you imagine the impact that you would have in Decatur, Texas, in your community right now, if every single person in this room would just invite one person to church? I can guarantee you right now that next Sunday, if every single person did that this week, this room would not have enough space for all the people that could come. Could you imagine the impact that this church could have just by inviting one person to come to church? Shortly after that, we moved uh, to St. Louis, and I was a part of a new youth group. I was about 14 years old, and I remember the youth pastor talking to me and I said, "Hey, Taro, would you like to go to youth camp?" I said, "Youth camp? What is that? What are you talking about?" And he's like, "Well, it's real simple. We play games, we have fun, uh, but there's going to be girls there." And I'm like, "All right, you know, sign me up. You know, how's this work out? You know, how do I pay you for this or or what?" And he said, no, no, we'll take care of it. And so I went to youth camp, and sure enough, we played games, had fun. It was a blast, a blasty blast, as I like to say. And we did all of these different things, but that was the first time in my life that anyone had, uh, or this is the first time in my life that I knew for certain, that I knew for certain, sitting in that camp, that I was supposed to be a missionary. I just knew it. 14 years old, you're going to be a missionary, right? I just knew it. No doubts. No doubts. You're going to be a missionary. And guess what I said to God? I said, no way. I do not want to be a missionary. Why? Why wouldn't I want to be a missionary? Being a missionary is the worst, right? I mean, it's got to be like the worst thing ever. You know, you go to some far off land. You know, you live in a grass hut. Dirt floor, no running water, no electricity. You're giving the gospel out to people that are wearing nothing but loincloths. Like, why in the world would I want to be a missionary? I got to give up too much to be a missionary. So I said no to God. And as a result, when you say no to God, what happens? Man, things, things change in your life. 15, 16, 17 years old, I had no peace, I had no joy, I had no direction. And these are the things that God promises you as a follower of him, you will have when you follow him completely. But I had none of those things. And it wasn't until I was 18 years old to where I got to a point in my life where I just could not live this way anymore. On the outside, man, I looked, looked pretty good. I knew I was a Christian. I was still helping out in the church. But on the inside, I was a complete wreck. I knew I wasn't following God. And it wasn't until I was 18 years old to where I said, you know what? Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And it was like instantaneously, I had peace and I had joy and I had direction all just come flooding in. Now, here's why I share all of that with you. You might not be a missionary to Nicaragua or you might not be a missionary to Ukraine or London, but the end result of our lives should look the exact same. We should be willing to surrender each and everything completely over to God. See, I thought I was real clever. I thought I was smarter than God. I said, God, uh, I'll go to church. And God, I'll help out with this ministry. But God, this part of my life right here, this is my part. I know how to handle this part of my life better than you. And I don't know what that might be in your life right now, sitting here today. I know many of us are struggling with that right now. But for me, it was my future. I didn't want to give up my future to God because if I gave up my future to God, where would I end up? What would I be doing? What strange and weird thing would I be eating? I didn't want to do that. But the moment that I surrender and I say, here I am, here I am, Lord. Whatever you want me to do, I am right here. Here is my life. Take everything. That's when God can begin to use you because once again, you will never do anything of lasting eternal significance until you take that first step. And what is that first step in each and every one of our lives? We have to completely surrender everything to him. We've got to answer the call because God is asking this church to get involved. God is asking you to get involved. And many of us are afraid, like Ananias, to say, here I am, here I am, you're afraid. But see, the reason why God was able to use Ananias, God was able to use Philip, God was able to use Paul, God was able to use the church in Acts is because they said, Here I am. And that is what God is asking us to do this morning. He wants you to say, Here I am. Because if you want to be involved, not just in getting the gospel out in this community, but around the world, you have to answer that call. You know, uh, in our church, In England, we have a saying, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Here's Jesus, and he says to his disciples, if you follow me, I'm going to make you what? Fishers of men, that's right. If you follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. We have a saying in our church that if you're not fishing, then you're not following. If you're not fishing, then you're not following. And many of us right now today profess to be following Jesus Christ, but guess what? We're not fishing. So what does Jesus say about that? Well, we're not really following him. And if we want to be serious about our walk with God, we need to be fishing for people. Because God is using us, just regular people like Ananias, to get an extraordinary message out for his glory. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor in just a moment. But this is your time right now to do some business with God. This is your time right now to maybe surrender some things, maybe some things that you're holding back right now. Maybe there's some things that you will not let go of, whether it's worries or uh, paycheck or maybe even being a missionary yourself. Maybe there's some things that you're still holding on to. This is your opportunity right now to say, here I am. Whatever you want me to do, I will do it. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to turn it over to pastor. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity that we have just to be able to meet together and to worship you. Lord, I pray that you please be with the rest of the service and the rest of the fellowship. But right now, I pray for the individuals here that you would get a hold of their hearts, that they would surrender their lives before you, that you continue to use them in a great and mighty way. We ask these things, your son's name.